TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. So much going on on the local sports scene that I am here once again this week. It is Scoop Podcast episode 185, at least this first portion being taped on Tuesday evening, the 13th of November. Guest-wise, this particular episode, it could be fluid, but I know this much. We will start with Jared Dudley of the Brooklyn Nets. He just got done playing the Wolves at Target Center on Monday night. This episode is brought to you by Fair State Brewing. Check them out in Northeast Minneapolis. I'll tell you more about Fair State Brewing later in the podcast, plus MyBookie, MyBookie.com. All right, let's waste no time. Let's get right to Jared Dudley. Jared, it's great to have you on the podcast. Let's just start with the news of the day. I mean, how much of a relief is it that that Karis LeVert, who, heck, a lot of people here in the upper Midwest are familiar with, just going back to his Big Ten days at the University of Michigan, but last night, Monday night at Target Center, I mean, that was that was a horrific scene, but the fact that he was able to fly back with you guys late last night, the fact that he doesn't need surgery. I mean, what a relief that is. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it went from devastating news to encouraging news within four or five hours. I mean, to see, your, uh, to see a guy, a young player, has worked so hard. And when, I'm, when I say hard, is, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, they're here all summer. It's not like they just show up September. They, they sacrifice their summer. They're here with this medical staff prepping and training, doing all the little stuff that gets to this point. And this is a guy who didn't even start last year, really becoming our best player. And uh, growing up, game winners, taking on the best defensive matchups. And for him to do this and play that well and to see how his ankle was looking, man, it, it was a total blow. No, no, no one wanted to play that game. And, and, uh, and to have to, to lose him and think he had, had to lose it for a year, and then to find out that, hey, it might be two to three months and this guy can potentially come back, I'm not even that happy, not just for the Brooklyn Nets, but for Karis LeVert. He really has been your best player. I mean, I'd be lying, Jared, if I told you that I watch you guys, you know, night in and night out. I mean, from afar, I would have thought that was D'Angelo Russell. Well, I, I think that, you know, D'Angelo Russell's a good player. I just think that anytime you add in a guy who's been clutch, who's hit two game winners for you at the end, uh, your leading scorer, who guards Kevin Durant, Kevin Booker. I just think the value of what he's played at, his athleticism, putting so much pressure. Um, I, I would say D'Angelo, I think people know his name better, and I think that he's coming on, especially last night, hitting nine or ten threes. But for our first you know, 11 or 12 game, Karis LeVert's been our best player. How hard was it to keep going? I mean, I know that, that most fans, the casual fan, thinks you guys are robotic, but there actually is emotion. There is a human element to it. I mean, how hard was it to keep playing last night in that game? Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, I, you guys had tears in their eyes. I mean, because you got to think about a lot of these guys have played with the Kyrs for a while and stuff like that, and they've been in the, the foxhole with him. And then to be in the first half and, you know, at the end of a road trip, how it's being said to see and to see it because it, 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 the injury happened right in, right in front of our bench too. So the visual to be able to see that man was very 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 difficult. No one said anything at halftime. No one was really talking. Second half we did start talking a little bit more, trying to get into the game, give yourself kind of a chance. But uh, you know, obviously not, not not there mentally enough and not having enough bodies to be able to beat Minnesota on that night. What do you think of Minnesota? I think Minnesota is tricky. I think they're kind of walked in the old school. You know, they want to post up a, a thousand times. Um, I, I do like the way D. Rose has been playing. I think that, you know, he, he's figured it out that, you know, his jump shooting and stuff like that. I just think that that old school mentality over there, it, it, it's, it's outdated when it comes to the modernized basketball. I think Town needs to shoot more threes. I think T. could be to shoot more threes. Uh, Wiggins. To me, it's really, really non-existent out there. They got to find a way to use them, and I just think that they're too, you know, too simplified, you know, on offense. You know, it's just throwing a post, cross-screen post. There's no creativity. You being a really good shooter, I mean, how much do you respect that? Derrick Rose has he has remade his jump shot. He has turned into a really good outside shooter. He is making threes. When you go back the last couple of years, Jared, he wasn't making threes. I talked to him after the game. I basically said, you know, hey, man, congrats on your, your success and, uh, you know, obviously the work you put in for that jump shot. He, you know, he said, thank you. I just think that, 
You know, he said you know, during the game you can hear him talk. You know, if they go under the screen, I'm shooting. I think he's confident. I think that you know he'll go he'll go into shooting stuff like everyone does, and that's the key. You know, when you're hitting shots, it's fine. It's when you go through the slump, how do you react? I think that. Um, I think he's confident and comfortable with the system. Playing with Thibodeau, understands him. Um, can, you know, can, I mean, obviously he's had his MVP year with him, and I, I think it's a testament. Where, hey, you know, when you have injuries and you start losing some athleticism, you have to your skill set has to take over. And I think that he's shown that in the summertime, the hard work he put in is it, starting to show. How much of a matchup nightmare is Towns? Huge. I think that he, you know, it, it's the uh, more opportunities that Butler's gone. I think that um, obviously you know not our, not having Jared Allen our starting center to guard him we were so undersized so obviously he made he made us look like Shaq back in the day you know him <laughs> just you know posting up getting wet and stuff like that I don't think it'll be that easy in the West Coast uh, I, I also think that it's difficult for them where if they get down it's difficult because they shoot a lot of twos they do a lot of post ups like I said so like they're a team that's going to play better with the lead than from behind I know most teams do that but. Both teams have the capability that can hit 15 to 17 threes. I don't know if, if Minnesota's one of those teams. From afar, have you admired Andrew Wiggins for a while? I mean, you know, pre-Jimmy Butler, I mean, for a stretch, I mean, he was averaging 23, 24 points a game. Clearly his role changed going back to, you know, before last year when Jimmy Butler came in, then all of last year with Jimmy, you know, then the first portion of this year. So I'm curious to see how, how Andrew now plays moving forward minus Jimmy Butler. I mean, I think his shots would get there. I don't think no one... I don't think that no one ever said Andrew Wiggins doesn't have the talent. Uh, I don't think anyone says he doesn't have the capability. It's just, you know, sometimes something's missing. And before he can score 20 points, it's not about scoring 20 points. It's about how you get to 20 points. When do you get it? And uh, can you get to the free throw line? He's 6'9". He's got 38, probably 40-inch vertical. You know, everyone knows he likes to do the pull-ups. When he drives, he does a spin move. Like he has to have cameras to this. He has to. He has to play more with the physical, it, it, and, and maybe it has to do with the system. I don't know. Maybe I, I know he's a quiet guy, and that's fine. You could be quiet. You could be a quiet assassin. T.J. Warren was that way for us. He didn't say that much, but T.J. Warren was aggressive. He was going to get his twenty shots. He was going to be physical. And so I'm not saying I'm not comparing those two. I'm comparing their personalities and their styles. Where. Uh, I don't know. And maybe it's a change of scenery. Maybe that it's Jimmy Butler leaving, and now we have. But Jimmy Butler wasn't there before, and they weren't winning. It's time for him. It's either, you know, I'm not saying now or never because he's still young, but I think it's time for him to take that next step and being more aggressive and more vocal, to be honest with you. Are you a fan of the new guys the Wolves got in particular, Robert Covington and Dario Saric? Yeah, I like Covington and Saric. I think Saric hasn't played well this year, but everyone knows how Saric is capable of. Covington is what what you expect. Great three and D guy. I think it will help them. I just think anytime you lose an All Star, you lose the trade. I don't care how it is. I mean, Jimmy Butler got into the playoffs, and people could say, you know, bad teammate this, bad teammate that. I mean, if Jimmy Butler doesn't get hurt last year, they're not an eight seed. <laughs> they're a four or five. Maybe you know. I mean, and so the the, the matchup is different. They might be playing Oklahoma City and Utah. So, um, but I mean, no, I I think it was a good trade uh, overall for them. It just. Uh, you hope to get maybe a first-round pick and help build for the future, but hey, you know they got two quality uh, rotational players. When you say Covington three and D, do you like that saying three and D? I mean, I'm sure people have attached that to you, or is that too much of a pigeonhole where you know you don't want to limit somebody to just you know okay hit the three, play some D from the wing position? That there's more to your game, there's more to Robert well, Covington's game. There, there is more to his game, but when, when my guy says three and D, it's because you can't create for yourself. That they're not going to be giving him any ice. Like you don't say three and D to Andrew Wiggins. You don't say it to certain people. You know, but before Covington is Covington is not going to create his own shot. He's not going to ask for a pick and roll. He he's going to need Teague and Towns to open up spacing for them and transition for him to get out, shoot his threes, play scrappy defense, which he's one of the better defenders in our league. Uh, but he, you know, he he does all the little things, you know, taking charges, getting steals, uh, boxing out. So he's more than just a three and D guy, but he's in that category because he can't create his own shot. I mean, is that pretty much you in a nutshell? Like, are you the For ultimate sure. three and D guy? I'm getting, yeah, I'm a, I was a three and D when I played play the small four. Now I'm, I'm a stretch four, so I'm a stretch four. Where, yeah, um, uh, I try to do little things. My my role is even more. So to the leadership, but yeah, I try to shoot three, play good defense. Um, I think the difference between me at the power forward position, the power forward is, is, is basically the new modern point guard. 
because point guards are shooting the ball more, and the fours are basically running the offense where, you know, every time you, you run pick and roll and you reverse it to the top of the key to the four man, and they have to swing it to the other side and get it to the other offense or set players and this. So, as you saw last night versus Minnesota, you know, I had four or five assists. I, I, I'm the second point guard on that, uh, you know, every time I'm in because of how the offense is set up. How much has the game evolved? I mean, I'm trying to think back. When was your rookie year? Was it 06, 07 with the Charlotte Bobcats? Yeah, I mean, my game's evolved just because I got traded to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns were ahead of the curve. And they basically told me, you can't play if you can't shoot threes. So I went from shooting 13 threes, I think, in Charlotte to 50 threes in the second half. And then all I did the next summer was shoot threes. I had Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. So I I was ahead of the curve playing with those guys. And in practice, we shot hundreds and hundreds of threes. Like, it was so much, like, compared to Charlotte, we were doing, you know, box-out drills, and, and, and Phoenix, it was straight offense, full-fast break, shoot threes, you know, 13 seconds or less, so it helped me. And then once I saw Draymond win a, a title and Jabari tore his ACL, I said, hey, why can't I not play the power forward? Because I'm not a starter, it's like I'm guarding the Blake Griffins, uh, the Marcus Aldridge, I'm, I'm a backup for. So, if anything, I'm going to have the advantage. And so, I thought early on in Charlotte, I mean, early on in Milwaukee, I was having huge advantage. We played the Bulls, and, you know, Todd Gibson was guarding me, and it took him a while to figure it out. Joe Kimbola was guarding me. And then now the league is kind of caught up. So, you know, more small forwards are playing power forwards. So, it's, now it's more just I'm out there for thinking and high IQ purposes. You mentioned Charlotte. You mentioned Phoenix. You mentioned Milwaukee. Brooklyn is now, what, your sixth organization. How does Brooklyn compare to the previous five? I would say it's, it's the best-run uh, organization. Mm. Uh, it's the best-run from Sean March and how they, Keenan Atkinson, when it comes to my medical standpoint, when it comes to doing stuff first class. Uh, the Clippers were a first-class organization with Doc Rivers. It was the first class where, you know, when it comes to flights, practices, doing stuff the right way and, and how travel-wise, they were first class. They just weren't run like a first-class organization compared to that, where, you know, Doc was a GM, he's doing trades on the airplane. The professionalism isn't what it is now. Uh, Phoenix, when they had Steve Kerr, uh, I was so young. Um, I thought everything was good uh, when it came to that. And then once he left, we had different GMs, and um, it, it wasn't run the right way. It will, accountability wasn't how it was. The facilities are top-notch. And so th- that's a work in progress. Uh, when it came to the Wizards, I love Ernie. Uh, the reason why I love Ernie because Ernie uh, didn't mess around. A lot of GMs will tell you one thing and not mean it. What Ernie Grunfield, when he told you what he expected and what he believed and what he and what you both agreed on, he would, he would hold the end of his bargain so you could respect that when it comes to that. Um, uh, Milwaukee was John Hammond. I, I respected John Hammond. And how and how he went with the approach and what he wanted from me being a veteran and what he expected for me to do and I think that he rewarded me by trading me to the Wizards for a second round pick that basically was nothing because of what I did for him and then here uh, I mean they, they do it the right way here in, in Brooklyn. How about all the coaches you've played for? I mean, heck, top of my head. I mean, I can't even remember who the coach was in Charlotte your rookie year. I had a Sam Vincent. Sam Vincent, okay, yeah. yeah. Sam Vincent was it? Then I had Larry Brown. Larry Brown was Larry Brown was perfect for just teaching basketball and me figuring it out for that time. Then Alvin Gentry, Terry Porter, uh, Doc Rivers, Jason Kidd. Um, My guy Randy Whitman, right? Was Randy it Whitman your coach Whitman. in Washington? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ray, 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 Randy Whitman, like a typical old school guy, you know. You know, you know, was you know, and and so and, and the difference between these old school coaches, which is it's not that they're wrong, it's just in life you have to evolve and have to try stuff. You gotta, you know, you gotta put guys. You know, sometimes you gotta put a power forward that plays power forward, put him at center. There's nothing wrong with that. You, there's nothing wrong with putting Marquise Morris uh, at, uh, at center or trying Towns at center. You know, Towns is a center in today's age, and and, and he is now. Like you, you have to evolve where. Where, where you have to be more creative and help get in the office. I know you have to rebound and defense is crucial, but if you look now and say today, and say you know, the new rules is teams are scoring 115 120. You can't win if you don't score like that. You know, you can't touch anyone. It's hard to guard. And so you have to get spacing, shooting, and style of play. It's huge now. I'm trying to think of all the players you've played with over the years. I mean, you touched on Nash and Amari. I mean, you would have played with the Greek freak in Milwaukee, John Jack. Wall in Washington. Did you play with Shaq in Phoenix? Played with Shaq in Phoenix. Played with uh, Jason Richardson, obviously in Phoenix, and at Grant Hill. 
uh, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, um, Devin Booker, uh, obviously the Greek freak, John Wall, Bradley Bill, and now here, you know, with this young team. And this is a team that, in the summertime, there's no team that works harder than the Brooklyn Nets in the summertime. They're here all summer. And when I tell you these guys work, they work. They put that that little magnet that you wear in your chest to, to, to process all the data every day, practice, get, you know, uh, workouts and, and judge you by your load and your workload of what you've been doing. They work here, so it's not just you know a weird thing that that we're winning. They put the work in. How much longer do you want to keep playing? My first time in NBA, I wanted to play ten years. Now I'm past ten. It's my twelfth year. I will love fifteen. So I'll have to play three more years. I think this year kind of is showing that I can play um, high level. Can do all little things. Am I a starter in this league? No, I'm not a starter in this league. Can I back up and play 15 to 22, 25 minutes? Absolutely. And then with my last year or two where I'm a Jason Terry, 14, 15 man, helping out young teams, I could do that easy for two, three years because as you heard Kyrie asking for a 15-year event, you need that habit. You don't think Phoenix Suns and Atlanta Hawks with Vince Carter, these teams don't need vets. They definitely do. I mean, was it hard, though, to turn the corner – just from an ego standpoint, where you've been a starter, to then turn that corner and say, okay, I know I'm no longer a starter. I'm just a guy that comes off the bench. No, because you, you, you I mean, it depends. I, I mean, maybe for all stars, but for a role player, no. I mean, I signed $30 million being a backup. Yeah. I, I started I started for 41 games. I'll back up 41 games in the Wizards. Sons asked you, hey, here's three years, $30 million. You want you to be a mentor and help. No, I mean, because when you're a backup, you're one injury and one losing streak away from starting. Like, it, it just happens. Like, I, I mean, when my came to Brooklyn, most people expect me not even to play. I knew I was, I I was going to play. I talked to the coach. I knew the system. I mean, did I expect to start? No. But then DeMar Carroll gets hurt. Uh, Jefferson gets hurt. And now, you're, now, you, now here's your opportunity. You know, everyone com, you know, complains about, you know, their, you know their, their, their situation. But then now when the situation is in your favor and you got the opportunity, what are you going to do with it? So I'm trying to make the most of my opportunity show the league that what I can still do. And now I got in tip-top shape um, after having my foot surgery the year before to show everyone, hey, now this is what I am after a full summer workout and try to make the most of it. I mean, it says a lot about you, the person, Jared. I mean, I'll be frank. I mean, when the trade was announced, when, when Phoenix announced, hey, we're sending Jared to Brooklyn, I thought you'd find a way to get out of Brooklyn, you know, buy me out of my contract, whatever, so you could hit the free agent market. But, you know, it sounds like you've embraced your opportunity there in Brooklyn. Well, I mean, before that, I had opportunity to get a buyout. And what it was, it was during a fantasy and everyone, you know, OKC was trying to get rid of Melo. Uh, Philadelphia was trying to get, you know, through that trade. And so all the powerful Beasley signed with the Lakers. So all the spots that I wanted to go to basically were taken. And so when I talked to the coach and the GM and saying, hey, Jerry, an opportunity for you to play, I basically didn't play for a year and a half. So people, when, you're, when you don't play, you're out of sight, out of mind. You know, they don't even think about all oh, like, They're thinking, why is Jared Dudley in the NBA? And so now once you play and once you can show, hey, okay, this is what Jared Dudley did against Minnesota. This is what he did against Philadelphia. This is his plus minus. This is his, the team his defense defensive rating when he's on the floor. Like, hey, hell, he's still valuable. Then you, you can stick in the league more. That's all I wanted to do this year, just to play. I'll let you go, Jared, after two more points. It was about a month ago, give or take, the the infamous Jimmy Butler practice here where where he shows up late. He hadn't been practicing with the team. Then he comes, he shows up late. But, heck, he plays hard. I mean, nobody can deny how hard Jimmy plays. Heck, it was him and a bunch of third stringers, you know, Luol Dang, James Nunnally, a couple other guys. Jared Terrell, they end up beating the first team. Then he storms out of practice. He ends up screaming at Tom Thibodeau, screaming at Scott Layden. If you were Jimmy's teammate, how would you have handled that situation? I first would have been texting Jimmy to understand what's going on here. I would have embraced him when he came back. Why, when he came back, I probably would have had a team meeting before he even hit practice of, of airing everything out because what we hear from the outside might not be the whole thing. I mean, unless I, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about Jimmy from Minnesota. Now, if I'm a teammate of his and he's talking the way that the media says he is about these certain players, I'm like, hey, what, what's the problem here? You don't think these guys work hard? What's going on here? Like, it, it tells, did he really believe that? Does he really, you know, I mean, is, 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 is he with them in the summertime? So I would have, we would have had that practice of what's going on. And so, so we all know where we stand at. Hey, do you not want to practice? Do you not want to play? And that's where a veteran leader is talking to the GM 
And Thibodeau, like, hey, listen here, this is what the team needs. And so maybe the best thing for him is not to play. You know, and so, you, I mean, you, you, you're trying to get a value. Everyone knows what Terry Butler can do. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and that's why they didn't get the whole thing. And I think that Jimmy has to take responsibility. After the season, he could have gone to the owner and Jimmy said, "Hey, I want out of here." And he'd have been out by the he'd have been out by draft day, or he'd have been out that he waited a week before. And you put a team in a tough position where you know they have to see your value. They got to they got to make calls, and no one's going to give their best offer the first day. So, uh, but uh, I mean, you can't have that, man. You can't have him play one game, not play another game. Like, come on. Man. I'm with you now. In Jimmy's defense, I mean, there were certain signs. Like, he didn't fly back with the team after they lost in Game 5 in Houston in late April. He did not have an exit physical at the end of the year. So, you know, we could be debating semantics. When exactly did he tell Tom Thibodeau, hey, I won out? You know, maybe that was on September 16th or September 17th. But I can just tell you, Jared, there were there were signs all summer long that he wanted out. So I'm with you. They absolutely could have executed a trade at the draft. You could argue as much as you might like Covington, Sarich, and Bayless, that maybe they could have gotten more if they had traded him during the summer. You would have got more. Everyone knows you get more early. You, mm-hmm. you ask him. You, for one, you're having conversations with him during his last year. You don't think Boston had conversation with Kyrie Irving before he hits this last year? Uh, before they, like, you know, you, You're talking to him. So you're asking him the year before, like, hey, he's, he's the last year. Hey, do you want to do an extension? No, hey, hey, do you want a five-year max? Are you going to stay here for a five-year max? Let us know. If not, what teams do you want? Give us five teams. We'll go ahead. We'll try to treat you the best five. Now it's summertime. Now you have picks you can be getting involved with. Now you, get a, you might be able to get it in this top five of this draft. You don't know who would have gave up what. Hey, um, you're telling me that the two first-round picks that the Clippers had, they might not have gave up one of them and a player for Jimmy? You don't know that. Like So, So yeah, you're right. I mean, this is why good organizations – or even when they don't have the talent, are still good. They want a bad organization. They don't do stuff the right way at the bottom. I'll leave you with this. You can have some fun with this. Better Boston College player, you or Minneapolis native Troy Bell? That's a great, you know what? That is a great question. This I will say, Troy Bell is a better was a better college basketball player than me. He, he's, a, he's a better college basketball player. I would say the difference is I'll be remembered more. Because of my four years of me always winning four straight tournaments, and he's all, at one point in time he was an all-time Big East leading scorer, and so his talent of how him scoring, I would say there's the difference with me. I played two different conferences, Big East and ACC. ACC Player of the Year. When you're an ACC Player of the Year, there's nothing bigger than that in college basketball. And so I'll be remembered more. He was a better player. He is now a barber. Would you believe that? That he went back to school. He's got a passion for cutting hair. He's actually a local barber here in the Twin Cities. Hey, he 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 is most he just must love the beast because he went from a basketball player to a boxer, now a barber. Yeah, he's got yeah he's got one heck of a life story, you know. I mean, you know, bouncing around a little bit basketball wise. I think he had a cup of coffee overseas, or maybe even more than that. So playing in the NBA, playing elsewhere. Yeah, I mean he's he's done a lot, and he's still what in his mid thirties. Yeah, hey man. People understand that basketball is only for a little bit of time. You have most of your life to live, stuff like that. So that's why. Him having that degree from Boston College, if you want to use it, obviously I know he's a barber and stuff like that. So, you know, you got so much to do, so much to finish. So that's why it's good to connect with different people, and that's why that's why I love that play for so many different teams, so many different cities that I've lived in. There, it's just it's just a good life to live, and what's better than playing basketball? Did you ever think you'd end up here in Minnesota? I thought at one point in time that I could be. I remember that they were they were looking for a stretch four. And I thought that it could be a good situation, a good fit, and stuff like that. I just think that, you know, and they got Tolliver. Me, me and Tolliver are very, very similar. I'm, I'm a little bit more when it comes to communicator and when it comes to ball movement, different than him. But no, I mean, hey, what team does not want a, a veteran who can shoot the three at a high level, good communicator, good role guy in the team? So Minnesota, you never know down the road and stuff like that. But hey, I, I will honestly say this, and I don't say this about every team I've been on. I love my situation in Brooklyn. That's fantastic, Jared. This was this was a really fun conversation, heck, for, for my own selfish sake, whether it's in two years, three years. I hope you do end up here in Minnesota one day so we can do this more regularly. All right, man. Thanks for having me. That was Nets forward Jared Dudley. That was a really fun conversation. I'll make sure to have him on a few more times before the season is over. I was waiting for a callback from Wolves owner Glenn Taylor. It didn't happen. I think I'll track him down. Later in the week now, I'm even doing Saturday morning sports talk, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 1500 ESPN. I'm filling in for Scott Korzenowski 
So if during the week doesn't work, maybe I'll track down Glenn for the radio show on Saturday morning. But I'm pretty sure just based on him being on the podcast, when was that, 11 or 12 days ago? And we talked about, hey, when a trade does happen, let's have you back on. And I know he's willing to do it, so we will track him down. But I think what I'll do is... I'll do two more conversations. I'll have on Brian Windhorst from ESPN, who's been at the forefront of some of the Jimmy Butler reporting. Then Trey Williams, who just committed on Tuesday night to the Gophers men's basketball team. Yes, the Gophers finally have a commitment. Hopefully this one sticks. I suppose they had the other kid who decommitted to go to Missouri. But they do have a commitment for the 2019 recruiting class. So we'll go interview, interview, interview on this particular podcast. I'll save some of the Twins, Vikings, and go for steam for a different podcast just in the event of me trying to not have this go 65 or 70 minutes. So hopefully you enjoy this basketball-centric podcast. It is brought to you in part by MyBookie, MyBookie.com. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you are betting with. That's why I recommend MyBookie. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is easy to use, MyBookie is so easy to use. They are slammed right now with new betters. That's a good thing. So they want to give everyone the best service possible. So if you're willing to deposit after 6 p.m. Central Time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Also join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. But you have to use the promo code SCOOP. Promo code SCOOP. It is MyBookie, MyBookie.com, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com, MyBookie.com. You play, you win, you get paid. Don't forget to use the promo code SCOOP. They will hook you up. I'm telling you, you play, you win, you get paid. It is MyBookie. All right, let's transition to ESPN's Brian Windhorst. Brian, it's always great to catch up. All right, now that the deal is official, in your mind, from what you know, from the offers the Wolves had on the table, did the Wolves make the best possible Jimmy Butler trade? Uh, In my opinion, I would have taken the Miami deal because I just think that Josh Richardson, out of all the things that were available, is the best option. And, um, uh, but you know, I, I could be wrong about that. I am not a player evaluation expert. I just felt like Josh Richardson would be a guy who I'd want to have on the rest of this contract, which is, you know, two more years after this one, actually three more years after this one, I think. Yeah, it is three. And, um, yeah, I, I just thought that that was out of all the assets available. I thought that was the best asset. Now I like Robert Covington. I just don't know if, you know, in, in, in Sarich, you know, one of the things that, um, I sort of heard over the summer is when you know the the the, the Spurs were evaluating uh, Kawhi Leonard trade packages. They just weren't that impressed with Sarich. Uh, you know, ultimately, mm. um, you know, ultimately they did a deal for an All Star, so it wasn't like apples to apples. But I think you know the evaluation I've heard a little bit about Sarich is that you know he's he's fine, but you know he's a starter quality player, but he may not be a difference making player, and so. Uh, Josh Richardson, you know, I'm not saying he would have been an all-star either, but I just think I'd rather have him. And I think there was um, – was Darren, was there a draft pick in that deal? Yeah, well, that was there the, were – That was the fight. That was the fight. We yeah, well, there were, there were all sorts of different packages talked about. At one point, Miami put Dragic, Winslow, and a future first on the table. Then eventually they put Richardson on the table. The question is, and I'm still trying to figure this out, was it Richardson, Dion Waiters, who to me is a negative contract? I mean, I get it if the no, Wolves said sure. no. You I mean, that is, no that is a horrible contract. So was it Richardson, Waiters, and a future first, or was it Richardson, Olenek, and a future first? Now, somebody we both know well, Mark Stein, reports, I don't know if you saw this or not, that the Wolves had a chance to do Richardson, Olenek, and a first, but in the end, they actually asked for $5 million in addition I don't know. I've not verified <laughs> that not? myself. Nothing would shock me. But according to Mark, the Wolves also, in addition to asking for Richardson, Olenek, and a first, said also, Pat, give us Pat Riley, that is, give us $5 million. So I, I don't know. But to me, if they could have done, I'm with you, Brian, if they could have done Richardson, Olenek, and a first, and they could have done this, by the way, a month ago, so to avoid the circus of the last month, to me, that was the trade to make. That may have been because Olenek is due so much money, uh, but I don't know. I mean, um, I would have tried to get Richardson. And as far as the Rockets offer, um, 
you know, four protected first-round picks or, you know, a first-round pick in 2023, I mean, it, it sounds better than it is, you know. Um, I, I'm not so sure what you do with all that. Uh, you know, it's not like the Brooklyn Nets, um, you know, trade of three first-round picks. Number one, those were all unprotected. Number two, you knew that the players you were trading them were at the end of their careers. You know, you look at the Rockets, and you you think that for the least, um, you know, the the first two of those picks this year in in twenty twenty one, those are probably not going to be very good draft picks. And for all we know, you know, they wanted to make the pick like in twenty twenty three, like you know, lottery protected or something. So uh, that's one of those things that sounds impressive, but you really have to get into the details of that and. Considering how number one, considering the wolf said no, and number two that it became public so fast, led me to believe that the, the details on that would not have made it as attractive as it sounded at first. Are you an Otto Porter fan? My understanding is Washington did put him on the table very early. They certainly weren't willing to do Beal, but they would have done. My understanding is they would have done Porter straight up for Butler. What do you think of Otto Porter? <laughs> Otto Porter is a really nice player. Um, he plays a position of need in the NBA. Uh, you know, he averaged 44, he shot 44% from three-point range last year, uh, you know, averaged about 15 points a game. Really a guy that you'd like to have on your roster. The problem is he has a preposterous contract. He has a $106 million contract. There might even be a trade kicker in there. I don't even know. I don't know that, I don't know that for sure. I, you know, I'd like to have Otto Porter. I don't want Otto Porter's contract. Uh, again, um, Bradley Beal, now that's a different conversation. Um, I, still, I still am thinking about, okay, I've got Wiggins, I've got Teague, I've got Taj, I've got Towns um, under long-term deals. The guy that I want is Richardson. I mean, um, you know, that's the guy who I could plug into my lineup and be really competitive tomorrow, and I just feel like that was the player. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Excuse me. Maybe Covington will be a really nice fit, and maybe you know it'll quiet down and it'll be good. I just, you know, I I just don't see a heck of a lot of upside on Covington. Now maybe they would argue on Sarge. I don't see. I don't really see a lot of upside on either player. And ideally, you would have been made a trade that you know you would have gotten some player with upside in the deal. I mean, they better hope that Sarge has some upside, right? Because they're going to have to pay him here pretty quick. I don't know if it's in one year or two years, but. I'm guessing he's looking for what fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year. Well, I mean, you know, he's a starter quality player. Um, you know, who, you know, this is one of these things. You know, he's one of these classic players. Um, uh, I always go back to Rudy Gay with the Memphis Grizzlies. Rudy Gay, um, it was probably about two thousand, maybe nine or ten. Um, <clears throat> Rudy Gay and, and, and Michael Conley. Uh, both signed contracts uh, with the Grizzlies coming out of their third year, and both of them blew everyone's head away. Michael Conley signed for forty-four million over four years. Maybe it was uh, forty-five million over five. I think is what it was. People couldn't believe it. And then they gave Rudy Gay eighty million over five years. Nobody could believe it. And Michael Conley turned into an all-star. You know, it was like one of the best contracts. It was in the league for a while. And Rudy Gay, like. He got a little bit better, but never grew into that. And so here's two teams, or here's the same team with two players making evaluations, and they hit a home run on one, and they sort of whiffed on the other, had to trade them. And, you know, said the same guys making the decision. And so what it gets into is the same thing you get into with a guy like Victor Oladipo. You know, the, 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 the Oklahoma City Thunder gave him an $80 million contract uh, when they didn't have to. Uh, they evaluated that, that, that he was going to be a good player. At the time, I was like, my God, that's a ridiculous overpay. Mm-hmm. And it's an insane contract. Now it's, again, one of the best contracts in the league. So you get into a situation like this with a guy like Sarich, who's you know, three or four years in, and not yet, he isn't yet there. And it really is kind of like Wiggins, too. Um, you know, you're betting on that this guy's going to take a leap. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I would much rather bet on a guy that's already taken the leap. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why Sarge was available um, is because Philly was kind of looking ahead. I mean, they were cashing in their chips a little bit, but Philly was looking ahead and saying, I don't know how comfortable we are, you know, making this decision on Sarge. And it's now, you know, in the wolf's lap. And, you know, maybe it'll, 
become a simple decision. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it, it, it's definitely going to be one of those where it, it could potentially be, you know, rolling the dice. If the Wolves, Brian, had looked to move Jimmy in the summer, and there were certainly signs. I mean, heck, Tibbs will swear by that the first time he actually heard from Jimmy that Jimmy wanted out was in mid-September in that meeting at Jimmy's house in Los Angeles. Now, heck, there were signs. I mean, I reported back on May 1st that Jimmy didn't fly back with the team after the Game 5 loss to the Houston Rockets. My buddy John Krasinski advanced that by saying Jimmy didn't also take an exit physical. So there were signs all over the place that Jimmy wasn't happy. So we can debate with Tibbs, you know, when did you find out for sure that Jimmy wanted out? But there were signs there. If the Wolves had shopped Jimmy, you know, around draft time, around the start of free agency, could they have done better than what they got? Um, It's a real quick aside. I love Jimmy and his use of private jets, and then also saying, I, I, my, "My money's not important to me. I drive a minivan." <laughs> um, I'm with you. Yes. Now, 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 I actually really like Jimmy. Um, I didn't have to deal with him every day. But he was always great with me. But um, you know, he 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 went back to that minivan line again today. I saw yeah. at the press conference, and you know, you know, I know that when Lee Jenkins did his feature in Sports Illustrated on Jimmy, that the the scene opened with them on a private jet, and we got Jimmy taking private jets. At, what were they, in Houston to end the season? Yeah, they were in Houston. He, yeah, they lost in he, Game 5 in Houston. So yeah, he took, Houston he with took a private, private jet. jet back to he's, L.A. He's paying, yeah. is paying for uh, Tyus Jones to fly in a private jet. Like, you know, I just I sort of laugh at the entire, um, oh, I'm just a, I'm a simple guy. I'm frugal. I don't need this stuff. Um, and I also when he says it's not about the money, too, like, is there any chance that he re-signs in Philadelphia for anything less than five one ninety? Well, we're not one hundred percent sure if Philly's going to offer it. Well, you're right, but um, if they if it gets to that point, I don't think Jimmy's taking less money. I, I just me personally, I don't. Well, put it this way: I think that the, the Sixers, when they made this deal, when they traded away, you know, basically they had they, they sort of had one bullet. To, I wish I had a better. You know, they had one, you know, button to push, one lever to pull, really with the prime of their assets because they're not trading. Um, well, I can't say anything about they're not trading. I wouldn't suspect they would trade uh, Ben Simmons. But, you know, they don't put all of these assets into a deal um, and not intend to keep the player. And to keep the player, when you made the – the deal you knew that the price was maybe going to be five one ninety, so they have to have some comfort level that that's going to be offered. But um, you know, I always, you know I always say that um, the best thing that a team can do, I think, um, when they have a disgruntled player, is to get out in front of it as much as far as they can. And mm-hmm. I'll go back to the last Jimmy Butler trade, um, what the Bulls did. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Bulls are the best managed team in the NBA. Um, they've made some mistakes. Certainly the uh, Fred Hoiberg uh, hire has not worked out. But, and, you know, Dwayne Wade signing, Jabari Parker signing, you know, I want to be clear. But they handled the Jimmy Butler departure very cleanly. There was a little bit of a rumble before, but it generally was executed out of nowhere. They made an internal decision that they did not want to go forward with Jimmy Butler. They did not want to be in the position to decide whether to give him a $190 million contract. And so they pulled the ripcord way early. And, you know, uh, they were criticized for the deal that they made, but the deal looks pretty good right now. And if you were to ask the Wolves in a true, in a, you know, in a true statement, um, you know, and I, and I appreciate Glenn Taylor giving interviews, I think that's a responsible thing for an owner to do. Agree. Um, uh, and I, you know, his sort of parochial language always makes me smile. He, I think he had an interview with um, John Kay from The Athletic Tonight. And yeah. he, he, he said, we're hoping that those fellows really help us. <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds, it's, it, you know, I really, I, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't, I'm not appreciative. I like it when the owner comes out. But I, I wish he would. I wish he would just be honest and and be like, listen, you know, what we traded for Jimmy versus what we have now, it's not great for where we are in the franchise. Um, it did not. It did not bring us forward. So um, 
you know, I think that's just that's just an honest assessment. And and uh, you know, you know, Tibbs made both moves, and so that's you know that goes on his on his uh, you know mantle in terms of the front office. I mean, that's those that, that those were essentially the signature moves that he made: the trade for Jimmy and the trade away from Jimmy. And right now, I I don't think the transactions favor the organization. How do you think Tibbs is feeling right now that his guy let him down so soon after he got here? He's got to be miserable because Tibbs, one thing about Tibbs was the loyalty. I think in in Chicago especially it was kind of a them versus us. You know, um, there was definitely a, a, a big divide between management and the teams there. Um, you know, it's it's just interesting. Even when you go to their building, um, the way that their practice facility is structured is almost sort of like there's a whole like viewing deck. Um, it's kind of similar in the design to um, the Wolf facility in that it's two stories kind of all wrapped around the court, but um, there's like a viewing deck where the front office can kind of like lord over mm-hmm. the, uh, the coaches and the players. You know, even the architecture of the franchise sort of makes it clear that there's that division. And I think Tibbs sort of thrived on that, you know, when, you know, when they made trades to get under the luxury tax. Um, and pull pieces off of the team, you know, when they, you know, when they pulled the plug uh, on on a season or two after Derrick Rose injuries, and Tibbs was like fought through it, you know, and said, okay, you know, you want to give me, um, you know, John Lucas and Nate Robinson as my point guard to replace Derrick Rose. All right, we're going to make the best of it. You know, we're gonna um, we're gonna make you know chicken salad, and you know what? And I think he, you know, loved, loved that the players were on his side, and you know, there was this this period of time where there was sort of this Jimmy Butler versus the front office thing where they kind of lowballed him and, and they, you know, maybe didn't want Tibbs to, to play him as much. And, you know, Tibbs just sort of defied them and ended up helping Jimmy get the contract that he's on right now. I mean, the scenario just, just flopped when he, you know, when he got to, when he got to Minnesota, because, you know, now there was no us versus them. The them were Towns and Wiggins, you know, um, you know, the, you know, they didn't have they didn't have an alignment in who the other side was, and I think that pulled the um, you know it ended up pulling the the situation apart. And but the one thing I just don't understand in the way it's been explained to me, and you know, I've had Jimmy explain things to me. I don't always I, I haven't understood everything that he said. Nobody would fault you. Uh, yes, um, I try to understand. I try to ask follow up questions. And I watched the interview with Rachel Nichols, and I read all of the quotes that he gave. I, I still don't quite understand why he was mad about Wiggins and Towns getting paid. Um, there was enough money for them all, in theory. And, uh, you know, he's not, it's not his first year in the league. I mean, he certainly understands how the salary cap works. And I just, I just didn't understand the concept that he was angry that he wasn't paid, you know, he was making more money than those guys when he first got to to Minnesota. Um, you know, he was the big dog. You know, because he had more. You know, just the way the the contracts fell. It's 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 just it's strange to me. It's it's you know, if the rationale is like I said that he wanted the money now, that just that, that that's a sophomore way to view the team, and he is not a sophomore person. I mean, is it as simple as that's a cop out? That you know, journalism one hundred and one. Why is this person lying to me? That he's not truthful on that. That he just I doesn't just, like Towns and Wiggins. Doesn't think he can coexist with those guys for whatever reason or reasons. That the money thing is just an easy way out. I mean, I, I don't. I guess it's possible. It, it's a reasonable thing, but I can only guess, Darren. Yeah, I really don't fully understand it, and I'm not enough. I'm not around the team enough to know. Um. Uh, you know, like I was at the, the Laker game uh, earlier. I was like, I was just like a week ago, and to 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 watch that game and see like Towns and Wiggins completely vanish down the stretch, and you know, Carl can't box out Tyson Chandler, get a rebound to win the game. Like, I can understand why that would grate on you, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, I can understand why it would bother you. But I don't know if I would understand that it needed to be to be a situation to be blown up. But but again, I I wasn't there for all the time. You were here for the home opener. You ever been a part of a regular season atmosphere like that one where 
where Jimmy was booed, and then by the end, there were, what, MVP chants? <laughs> I'll remember that night for a long time. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> God, I had a great lunch at Murray's, too. Oh, Murray's is great fantastic. Lunch at Murray. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, my colleagues, one of the things that my colleagues say a lot is, oh, this is a weird game. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Um, this is a weird game. This, that was a weird circumstance. This is a strange game. And I kind of roll my eyes because in the NBA, you know, there's a pretty big variance. It's kind of, quote-unquote, strange things happen a lot, and I just think it's normal NBA basketball. You know, and I just say, no, it's a normal NBA game. That, Darren, was a weird game. <laughs> uh, with the, the, you know, first off, the fans were very nervous. Um, they didn't like know to cheer or not. It was a, it was a strange situation. And then they were booing Jimmy um, early in the game, and there was a moment where they were running like a, you know, sort of a motion play, and Jimmy only had the ball for like a split second. He caught the ball and immediately passed it. And the fans booed, and then they had to stop booing. And then there was an audible laughter. Like a couple thousand people were laughing because they were like, boo! And then they realized the whole thing is preposterous. The whole thing is laughable because they're <laughs> booing because there's like this social expectation for them to boo. They really they don't want to boo because they want to be sad. They don't want to show Jimmy hate. They want to show Jimmy love. Um, and so the whole thing was, was odd. And... Um, then that night, like he he's taking forever, and I'm like, is he going to miss this plane? I mean, and I didn't know what he was doing, and the answer was yes, he was in, he was missing the plane. It was, oh yeah, and that was all um, pre-scheduled. I mean, that was that was not heat of the moment. He knew heading into that Friday night game that he wasn't playing Saturday night in Dallas. Clearly, um, the the plane was. Te- I mean, he was so long in the locker room. Um, that like I was like wow I mean is he like I, again I just I'm not around the team to, to know I'm like does he always get to the plane last because <laughs> because like the plane was scheduled to leave in like ten minutes and I mean obviously they would have waited for him don't get me wrong but like I didn't know if he was like trying to send a message or this is how he always rolled and I was like oh I mean you know they're they're not going to Milwaukee they're going to Dallas that's a long flight um, it was it was yeah. just it was one of those. It was one of those surreal nights. I'll let you go, Brian, after after two more points. What do you think is next for the Wolves? I mean, Rose is a free agent after the year. Tolliver's a free agent. You've got Taj Gibson as a free agent. Jeff Teague as a player option. I mean, they could be active here before the trade deadline even even more. I would be – well, I, I'll see what Teague does. I, I would be surprised if Teague – Ops out, but who knows? Maybe he's had enough money and he doesn't want to be there. I don't know. Well, I mean, that would um, be the thing. I mean, he's not getting nineteen million dollars a year no way. on the open no market. Way. But you know, how much does he really want to get the heck out of here? Would he take? I mean, would somebody give him three thirty-eight ish, three thirty-nine? I mean, would he would he take a little bit of a cut to get a little bit more long-term security just to get the heck out of here? That'll be an interesting one. That'll be. We'll see the market. I mean. um, you know, the one thing that I guess is positive is that there are some teams that struggled at the outset in the West. You know, Utah struggled, uh, Houston struggled, um, the Lakers got off to a slow start. Um, those are teams that, you know, are going to be playoff. Well, I don't know about the Lakers. I think they're going to be a playoff team. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Oklahoma City didn't exactly come flying out of the gates. So they're they're behind, but they're not like so far behind that it's un you know insurmountable they've got plenty of time to catch up and if they play well and they play good you know sound basketball and they you know i, I don't see there's a reason why they can't make the playoffs i mean it's going to be competitive but i mean they're still very talented um i think rose is a question mark because i don't know how much they should play him um you're right that's the conundrum i mean he's been right he's been so good he is making three-pointers. He has re he has remade losing. that outside shot. He has been Brian, he has been phenomenal. I mean, you've seen it in person a few times. He has been phenomenal, but he dribbles the ball so much. He dominates the ball so much. He takes so many shots and we have no idea. I mean, if Tibbs isn't here next year, I don't think Derrick Rose is here next year. So, you know, does it make sense to let Derrick take all these shots if he's not here a year from now? So the conundrum is like 
so the 50 point game I, I watched it and it was just you know I was just my mouth was open I just couldn't believe it and and then he has a game I was at the game in LA he hit seven threes I mean it was unbelievable and the the shot that he missed to win the game I mean it was a good shot mm-hmm. um, you know I know that it wasn't designed necessarily I mean it was sort of just an option play and it, you know it worked it got the guy the shot I mean he was seven of nine or seven of eight on threes at that point. Um, the thing about it is, like, I don't know if it's healthy for Derek Rose to play that way. And quite frankly, since Teague had gotten hurt, like, the team kept losing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure that it was a positive that he was doing that much. And I, I go back to a couple of years ago when he played in New York. Um, you know, he had a good season. He averaged 18 points. He had a bunch of games where he up big numbers, not like 50-point numbers, but he, he had a bunch of good games, and he had moments. Now, he looks even better now than he did then. I mean, he didn't have an outside shot. You know, you know, he at one point during the season, he obviously just absconded. Um, but, the, but the Knicks were bad when he played. Like, if when you looked at the numbers, looked at the plus-minus, he'd have good games, but the Knicks, the Knicks would not be good as a team because he dominated the ball, and he didn't always play good defense. And, you know, that's the thing, like, on one hand, it's like, wow, we have this guy that we're paying $2 million bucks who's, who's doing such a great job, and boy, what a, what a coup. But he's not really contributing to them winning. I mean, even the 50-point game came all the way down to the end. Ideally, when you get a guy who scores 50 at home, you don't have to win in the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, and this is the thing. Like, Derrick Rose averaged 18 points a game for the Knicks and had trouble getting a job the next year. And he's had trouble getting a job ever since. And um, it's, just, it's just a thing. Like, the way he plays doesn't always favor winning. And I know that it's not an indictment on him. It's not that he's doing anything, like, selfish or sinister. It's just, um, you know, it's going to be a thing. And, you know, I, I really like Teague. And um, I thought Teague was paid too much money. But, you know, you've got to get a guy to Minnesota. I mean, it's not easy. Um, you know, they, they, they really tried to give a bunch of money to J.J. Redick, and he wouldn't come. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, you know, you're going to have to overpay in the free agent market, especially when you haven't made the playoffs in 12 years. Um, but, you know, I like Teague, and I think Teague, you know, is better. You know, he's, he's been an all-star. He's, he's, um, he's been on really good winning programs before. So no, I'm, 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 I would reduce Derek Rose's minutes. Um, and, and it's not because of anything he did. I think it's for the good of the team. Do you know if the Phoenix Suns like Jeff Teague? I mean, they're still looking for a point guard. I know they like Tyus Jones, you know, so that would be another name to watch. I mean, I just, I do wonder if the Wolves will be active here in the next, you know, two months. Well, um, I think it depends on where they are in February. Um, if if they're in seventh place, you know, I think that, you know, that's one thing. If they're in 11th place, I think that's another. And, um, you know, it's how Tibbs handles that with his job on the line, you know, um, in that interview that uh, Glenn gave today, he certainly didn't, I mean, he wasn't critical of Tibbs, but he didn't make it sound like he's guaranteed to be here forever. So, um, you know, that's, I, I think, I think a large part of it's just going to be like where they are. I mean, they do, they do have some, they do have some things that they can do. I mean, I, I, I like Tyus and he's a quality backup. Um, and if you're if if he, if he's your third stringer and, and you know I, I suppose you could probably get something for him, but um, I wouldn't give up on him. I I kind of like him. I like him too. He's not off to the best start, but but yeah, I mean, heck, I'll admit my bias having covered him since he was in the eighth grade here in the in the Twin Cities Metro. But yeah, I'm a I'm a Tyus guy. All right, I'll leave you with this, Brian. On speaking of Tibbs, you know, not being here forever, let me ask you about a colleague of yours. I don't know how closely you've worked with Chauncey Billups, but. Do you like Chauncey eventually running some front office? And considering Chauncey's relationship with Glenn Taylor, I wonder if that's a name to watch come April for him running the Wolves. I have had many, many long conversations with Chauncey about being a president in the league. I was just talking about it less than a week ago. In fact, that night I was at the Laker game. I did countdown and I had talked with him about it that day. Um, you know, I think the one thing about Chauncey is he doesn't feel an undying need, <laughs> excuse me, to um, to be a to be a team general manager, a team president, or whatever. I do think he's interested in the job, and I think he studies 
the league closely and knows the league and knows personnel in the league. Um, I think he's, you know, I think he's a great candidate. I, I think it's dangerous to hire a guy who's never done it before because even like the smartest people make mistakes um, because it's hard. But, um, you know, he, he, he would be fine never being uh, a, a, a president. He doesn't want to take a job that's not going to work. And he wants to have an opportunity to be successful. And he wants to sort of build it the right way. You know, he's going to want to hire, probably hire a coach and, and sort of, you know, go about it, you know, slow and slow. And it's one of the reasons why he just didn't turn down, it's one of the reasons why he turned down the Cavs president's job. I mean, it was reported that it was about money. I don't believe that that was 100% true. I mean, I'm sure that Chauncey probably would have wanted more than whatever was offered to him, but I think it was more about fit in the job. And Dan Gilbert's a guy he had known for and worked for forever. He was... Before Gilbert was the owner of the Cavs, he was the spokes. Chauncey was the spokesman for Gilbert's Quicken Loans, or it was actually called Rock Financial in, in, in Detroit. He was like the the face of the brand in Detroit. So this is a guy he knew forever, and he just like you know what? I just don't think it's a good job. I'm not going to go there. And I think that's instructive. It has to be the right job. But Darren, it's a very interesting name, and um, he's beyond reproach. Very intelligent. Um, I think he's got a great chance to be a good executive, but even he would tell you that um, he's going to be picky. Brian, always appreciate your time. You were incredibly gracious with your time tonight. So thank you so much, and hopefully we can do it again maybe around All-Star Weekend or somewhere in that vicinity. Sounds good, Darren. Take care. Always love my chats with ESPN's Brian Windhorst. We'll talk with Gophers basketball commit Trey Williams. He committed here on Tuesday night, the first commit for the class of 2019, we'll get to train in just a second, but let me tell you about Fair State Brewing Cooperative. They are the Upper Midwest's first member-owned brewery. They specialize in delicious sours, lagers, and hoppy ales. And they just re-released Mirror Universe, a double dry-hopped hazy IPA brewed with wheat, oats, citric, mosaic, and El Dorado hops. It was a limited offering in the spring, and from now on, it is available year-round. Grab it. For your Thanksgiving gathering, look for it at your local bars and liquor stores or stop by the tap room, the Fair State Brewing Cooperative Tap Room in Northeast Minneapolis at Lowry and Central. Fair State Brewing, check out Mirror Universe. All right, here is Gophers Basketball Commitments Basketball Commit, Trey Williams. Trey, congratulations on your commitment to the Gophers. Just take us through how you made this decision. I mean, as far as I can tell, did everything happen Really fast. You were just on campus the other day for a visit, and all of a sudden, you've made the commitment. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Well, uh, Coach Dieter actually reached out to me about two weeks ago, and he just let me know that they needed somebody at my spot, and he felt like I was that guy that could come in and make a big uh, impact, you know, my freshman year. So he talked to me for about a week, uh, talked to my parents, and then I talked to Coach Patino, and they actually flew out last week and uh, watched me practice and he told me he saw, I mean, uh, he liked what he saw, wanted me to come on an official and uh, when I got out there, everything was just amazing. I, right when I got on campus, I, I could just feel like I could see myself there for four years, if you know what I'm saying. And um, the team was just amazing. You know, all the guys are gelling. The coach, that's the, uh, Coach Latino is letting his players hoop, you know, letting them do their thing as long as they're playing defense and, you know, uh, working hard, so I just felt like I could really come in and make a big impact, and uh, I could just see myself there. You know, I was comfortable there, and everything was just amazing. My parents liked it. Uh, they're really big on ap- uh, academics, and academics is great there too. So, yeah. Is the idea then, Trey, that you'll sign? I mean, you can sign as what soon as tomorrow, right? Wednesday the fourteenth. I mean, will you put pen to paper on Wednesday the fourteenth? Yes, sir. I'll be signing tomorrow. So, I mean, it is. I mean, it's true that everything happened so fast. When you say that, that Coach Patino flew out, you're in Utah right now, but give us give us some background. I mean, you're playing right now in Utah, but are you from somewhere else? Yes, sir. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I flew out here last year and started my junior season out here. I uh, just wanted to get out and, you know, play against the best competition, play on a national schedule. So made the decision to come out here. This is my second year here. I'm looking to make a – 
make a run to the national championship. I feel like my team has a great chance of doing it. We got a new coaching staff that came in and just changed the culture around. So everything's great. And, uh, yeah, coach, coach flew out all the way out here to Utah during the season, which is big time. You know, that meant a lot to me. And uh, when I got on campus, man, like I said, it was just, it felt like home. And what school specifically are you at now in Utah? Uh, Wasatch Academy. Okay, and you guys play? I mean, it's one of those national schedules? Yes, sir. So, I mean, the competition you're playing is is pretty darn good. Definitely. We play La Lumere, Sunrise Christian. We're in the uh, Montverde tournament, so we're going to have some big-time games this year. Take us through what kind of player you are, Trey. For those of us just starting to get to know you, over the last few days, describe to us the kind of player you are. For example, if you had to write a scouting report on yourself, what would that scouting report say? Uh, first off, I'd say that I'm a dog, you know. Like, I, I always bring it. I always bring a lot of energy, uplift all the guys around me, and then I love to score. I mean, God, God bless me with the ability to score. I can shoot the ball, get to the rim, and then on defense, I'm just a monster, you know. Like the, like the pressure, like the getting presses, running transition, Get some dunks. I'm a little athletic. Got a little bit of bounce. So yeah, that's about it. You know, just a just a real energy guy that can score and play defense. Did you play on the summer circuit? Did you play EYBL or the Adidas or Under Armour? Yes, sir. I played on the EYBL with uh, Drive Nation. It was a new team. Coach Jermaine O'Neal coached us. Oh, Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, that's a familiar name. The former NBA player. Yes, sir. So, how did you do on the circuit this summer? I did solid. I think I averaged around almost 10 points. You know, it was, uh, it was a team full of superstars, a lot of five stars, so I didn't get as many shots as I liked, but I'm a team guy. As long as we were winning, I was fine. Who were some of the guys on your team? Uh, Sam Neal Williamson, that's committed to Louisville. Drew Timmy, that's about to make his decision. Uh, Jamias Ramsey, that's committed to Texas Tech. Avery Anderson, that's committed to Oklahoma State. Jeez. Montavious, Montavious Murphy, that's committed to Kansas State, and then uh, Alec Grandstash. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, that, that team absolutely was loaded. Who else Who else was recruiting you? Uh, I had offers from Georgia Tech, uh, Tulane, Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, Pepperdine, um, Milwaukee, Arkansas State. I was talking to... VCU the last couple of weeks, I talked to Northwestern, um, Georgetown reached out to my parents. So it was just it was just a lot of schools all over. I mean, I've been I've been getting recruited by a lot of schools since my sophomore year, but you know it's it's had its ups and downs. So how how hard was it, Trey, to tell a lot of those schools? I mean, some pretty good schools. How hard was it to tell those schools no? I mean, it was hard. You know, you always want to keep a good relationship with all the coaches, especially after. They showed love for so long. You know, they were talking to me for so long, consistently reaching out to me, you know, making me feel good. So it was hard, but, I mean, Minnesota, that's that's my spot. <laughs> Did you watch the Gophers beat Utah last night? Yes, sir. Watched the whole game. What stood out? Just the way that the, the freshmen stood up. Um, stood up, you know. My, my boy Gabe came out there and had a hot game. Um, my boy Jarvis, you know, he got a big-time dunk. Um, my boy Daniel Aturu, he had a big game, so I just liked the way that the freshman came out, you know, didn't really have butterflies. And then um, Amir Coffey and Jordan Murphy, I just, you know, they're just unstoppable. So it was great watching the team. Trey, I'm sure you know this. There are still some scholarship openings for next year. I mean, just getting to know you here on the phone, I mean, it seems like you have an outgoing personality. I mean, will you help Coach Patino now recruit a couple other guys to fill those openings? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, I'm helping coach, you know. I think we, I think we need one more, um, you know, just, just big that's nasty and, and can get nasty on defense for us. So I'm definitely going to try my best. And will you take – are you coming back here anytime sooner? Does does your season there in Utah, you know, is it is it so busy that you won't be able to get back here for a while? Out to Minnesota? Yeah. Will you get back here for a game in the uh, in the coming months? Um, I'll try to, you know, the season's starting, we start playing next week and, and it's, it's going to be hectic. So I'm, I'm going to try, but, uh, I don't know. I'll probably be out there. If, if I don't get out there, I'll be out there in the summer, you know, the first summer session. So that'll be good. I'll leave you with this, Trey. Where, where do you need to get better as you prepare to play in the big 10, one of the premier conferences in the country? I don't need to break you 
that news. So when you're playing in the Big Ten starting next year, where do you need to get better so that you can compete at the highest level? Um, I feel like I, I need to get a little bit better with my handle. You know, I can I can handle the ball and bring it up, but just having a stronger handle, you know, it's a lot of good guards in the Big Ten, and then just being consistent, you know, just being able to knock down open shots and guard my defender. That's, I feel like if I can knock down open shots and play defense, then I'll be all right. Does it surprise you that you're the first commit for the for the 2019 class? That does that does surprise me a lot because you know they have an amazing facility, they have an amazing program, amazing team, so. I'm just blessed that that I am the one that committed. I'm happy. Trey, congratulations, and we'll certainly connect in person when you get here, whether it's you know in the summer or you know close to to the start of next year. But we'll definitely we'll definitely connect when you're here in Minnesota. Man, that sounds great. I appreciate you reaching out to me and and taking the time to talk to me. That was Gophers men's basketball commit for the class of 2019. The Gophers first commit. Well, they had one going back a number of weeks, but he decommitted soon after committing to the Gophers and committed to Missouri. But as Trey said, he will sign on the dotted line. He will sign his letter of intent to join the Gophers next year. He will sign on Wednesday, tomorrow, the 14th of November. Trey Williams, the newest member of the Gophers men's basketball team, at least as far as next year goes. All right, that is it. This podcast went longer than I thought, but Brian was so darn good. I just figured, hey, we'll keep going and going and going. So I'll unleash some notes. I definitely have some Twins notes, Vikings, Gophers, a bunch of notes, but we don't need this podcast to go 75 or 85 minutes. So we'll call it a podcast at this point. Episode 185 is in the books. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, Ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.